It was great worship. Thank you, worship team. That was phenomenal. Uh, my name is Dan Hardy. I'm one of the pastors here at Windsor Community Church. And I want to welcome you as well. Kevin Richter, who did the announcements. Kevin is a pastor in training, and I don't know if he introduced himself, but he's a dear brother, feeling the desire to be a pastor. Just so appreciate your heart, Kevin, wherever you're at. There's these cards in the bulletins, and it's something uh, different today. But if you would, uh, either during the message or after the message, if you would fill this out. Today's message has inspired me to take action by. It raised questions. It's challenged me. It's given me new insight on and this is going to shape the message for next Sunday. And it's also going to shape what we do in community groups in February. If you're new with us here today, what we normally do is we march through a book in the Bible. We've been teaching through Genesis. We left off in Genesis chapter 20. And we've taken a four-week pause. The last two weeks, we took a look at core values and vision. And today and next Sunday, we're going to take a look at prayer. And it's from selected scriptures. There's not one passage we're going to stay in. If you're note-takers, make sure your pencil's sharp because we're just going to be all over the place. I want to introduce a couple that's here this morning as, as he turns pale. Chuck and Gwen, would you stand up? This is Chuck and Gwen Cook, and I can't help but do this because... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Glad you're here. <laughs> uh, Chuck, oh, she meant at Christmas. <laughs> Chuck led me to Christ in 1973. And, uh, it's not a surprise. I knew he'd be here. <laughs> so welcome. They, uh, they're involved in a ministry. Hello, Sylvia. Uh, they're involved in a ministry in Denver called WizKids. And it's an outreach to elementary school and middle school kids where they uh, tutor they tutor these kids. They partnered with the school districts. And these school districts have allowed them to share the gospel at the end of the tutoring time. In a nutshell, that's pretty much what it is. And if anybody, uh, we're gonna, they're going to be at our house afterwards and just telling us a little bit about WizKids. If anybody wants to come and hear about that, we've got plenty of food and we'd love to have you. Today, we are, as my voice changes, we are going to teach on prayer. And the Lord has really set us up for these two Sundays the last four or five weeks, I've been just drinking through a fire hose, just reading on prayer, reading scriptures, reading books, talk to, talking to people. I've asked a lot of you, about what questions do you have on prayer? What don't you understand about prayer? And I've asked myself the same questions. What am I missing, God, about prayer? And I think through my study, I've learned that I've, I've been missing a lot. I've been reminded of many old truths. I've learned new aspects of God's character. I've been convicted of my sometimes lack of desire to spend 24-7 with the Lord. You know, I love to read my Bible. I love fellowship with the Lord. I love fellowship with the body of Christ. I love to share my faith. But you know what? Prayer at times for me is a challenge. It's a challenge. And I think it's a challenge for all of us at some level. You know, my wife Nancy, we're coming up on our uh, 30 years of marriage this June. And by the way, he wouldn't marry us because he didn't think I'd make it. <laughs> He didn't say that, but I could see it in his eyes. Uh, and there's only two reasons we made it. That's God's grace and Nancy's numbness to pain. <laughs> so if I spent time, if I just spent time with Nancy when I needed something, or if I just read about her or read her letters that she's written me, or I listened to what other people have told me about her, 
it's going to be real hard. I might know about her, but I'm not going to get to know her in a real intimate way like I would if I walked with her, if I spent time with her like I have the last 30 years. And the only way to really get to know someone is to spend time with them, is to walk with them. And as a Christian, we've been saved into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And in Christendom, we spend a lot of time getting to know about God. We spend a lot of time getting to know about God here. But oftentimes, I don't go to the point of really getting to know God, to know His character, to know His the depth and breadth and height and width of His love for me. As I was preparing this message, I was convicted about the amount of time that I prioritize knowing the creator of the universe. Life is busy, isn't it? Life is busy. We are all have a lot of routines. It's busy. There's a lot of things that we've got to work, guys. We've got to provide. The Bible says we need to provide for our families. We need to spend time with our brides, our kids. There's neighbors we're reaching out to. There's basketball games. There's basketball games. And there's lots of stuff to do. I can get into a routine, even as a pastor, where I prioritize what's good, but I don't always prioritize what's best. Now, this isn't going to be a time where I'm doing this to me or doing this to you, because there's so much grace. God is long-suffering, and He is in the process of sanctifying every one of us. My plea here today is that we walk away here just with a little bit more desire to spend time with the creator of the universe, the lover of your soul, the one who laid his life down for you. When I was pondering this, I asked myself the question. I said, what famous people would I cancel appointments for? If there was a famous person I'd never met before, and this person was coming through Windsor, and somebody told him that I was a fan, he called me up, said, Dan, I'm coming through Windsor. Which people would I cancel an appointment for with any of you for? Sorry. The first one, if we can show it, is George Foreman. George Foreman. This guy, he, he rustles lions, he worships God, he cooks greasy burgers, and he knocked out Muhammad Ali. I would love to spend time with this guy, and I'd cancel an appointment with any of you for him. The next one. Look at my arms. <laughs> Kurt Warner. This is a guy. He's 38 years old, just a little bit younger than me. And he is still throwing strikes. He loves Jesus. I think he stayed married, which is really rare. So I would cancel an appointment with any... I would rearrange my day to meet these guys. The next guy is Andy Stanley. I would love to meet Andy Stanley. This guy is the... He is the best communicator on the planet for the gospel. And there was another guy standing... Thank you, Mrs. Babb, wherever you're at, by the way. <laughs> and I would cancel an appointment. I've been to his church three times in, in Atlanta. And if I had a chance to have lunch with him or spend a day with him, I'm sure he'd say the same thing about me. But I would cancel an appointment with any of you. And the last one is... He may not be as recognizable. Anybody know this guy? Wes Stafford. He's the president of Compassion International. And this guy is, I heard his testimony last year, and this guy, give me a long morning, he, I've never met him, 
but he's been president for 30-some years, and he was a missionary's uh, child. And his parents would send him away to an orphanage, like missions folks did back in that day. And he went and he was sexually abused for years by missionaries. And he decided to not be bitter about it, but to forgive. And now he's got one of the, the most amazing ministries to orphans that this world's ever known. So, no offense. If he comes through town and I've got lunch with you, you're done. I'm having lunch with him. Here's the point. The point is, is that there's not much. I go through my day. I get into the routine. And I rarely stop to spend an hour with the Lord. I've got access. I don't have access to any of these guys. I've got access, and so do you, to the creator of the universe, the lover of our souls, the one who shed his blood for us, that any time he has us on his calendar, every minute of every day. We don't always have him on our calendar. I check the box. You know what I'm talking about? I check the box. I love spending time with the Lord, but when I get into that routine, I rarely stop. Several years ago, in a North American seminary, 50 students were planning on going to summer missions. And they interviewed these 50 students and asked them about their devotional life, the time that they spent in prayer and studying the Word. And three of these 50, 6%, had regular quiet times with the Lord. And I've got to tell you that I think that is the state of pastors in America as well. You know, as, as Dean introduced the deacons, one of the reasons that, that deacons even came on the scene was in Acts 6, as Dean talked about, is so that the pastors can be committed to the ministry of the Word and prayer. And there's more pastors, more of us that spend time organizing than we do agonizing. We spend more time planning than we spend praying. Now, we've got to organize, we've got to plan, but I want to be a man that's characterized by agonizing over the hearts and souls of men and women. And that's just not the pastor's job. It's all of our jobs. And it is the greatest privilege on the planet. It says in Hebrews that we can boldly come before the throne of grace. We can boldly come before, not with head down, but we can boldly come before the throne of grace because of Christ's shed blood. We're going to examine today why pray. Why pray? There's, there's ten, ten reasons that I came up with. There's probably a hundred. And next week we're going to take a look at what is prayer, and how to pray. And we're going to use God's Word as the textbook. Number one, why pray? It expresses our humble dependence upon the Lord. There's nothing like prayer. We can say we're dependent. I can say that I'm dependent. Just like I can say I'm a giver, but if you look at my checkbook, it might tell you different, or it might confirm that I'm a giver. But the amount of time that I spend praying confirms or denies my humble dependence on the Lord. I love this quote. I'm not sure where I got it from. But prayer is to the believer what capital is to the businessman. If any of you have been in business before, and for better or for worse, I have, is that prayer is to the believer what capital is to the businessman. And if you have a business with the greatest product in the world and you are undercapitalized, you might succeed, you might move forward for a while, but as soon as that economy dips, if you're undercapitalized, you're going to fail. And I think some of you know what I'm talking about. It's the same thing with prayer. You might be able to go along in your own flesh for a while, but if you're not connected to the vine in prayer, as soon as inevitable trials come along, 
you're going to fold. You're going to fold. Prayer humbles us and puts us in our rightful position. You know, we can't fully adore God without understanding our depravity and our wretchedness and His grace. We can't. And I know that's not popular today, but I feel like one of the most magnificent ways to understand my dependence upon the Lord is to understand my condition before God got a hold of my heart. And it was total depravity. Complete depravity. I deserved hell. I I deserved an eternity in torment. But God, in His infinite mercy, shed His light on me and on you if you know Jesus. And you're never going to get that hell. And our dependence, knowing that truth, makes me want to just cling to Jesus. Matt Chandler, anybody know who Matt Chandler is? He's got one of the greatest sermons I've ever heard. It's, it's Jesus Wants the Rose. You want to hear a, a six-minute clip from that sermon, just go to Tangle. And it's, a, it's very powerful. He's from the Acts 29 network of churches. He's out of Dallas. He's a, in his late 30s. He's got a church of about 3,000 people. And in December, he was just diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. This was his quote. When the illusion of control disappears, we become men and women of prayer. Did you get that? When the illusion of self-control disappears, we become men and women of prayer. You see, when we're healthy, when we've got money in our bank account, when our kids are behaving, when we've got a job, we've got the illusion that we're in control. I had that illusion for a lot of years. Kids that looked great, they acted great. I had a job that had high prestige, lots of money. But I had the illusion that I was in control, that I was a self-made man. And can I tell you, it doesn't matter that it's, it's God that's holding this universe together. And if He so chooses, He can do anything. He can cause any calamity. Some circumstances drive us to our knees, don't they? But there's periods when life seems quite manageable. And I want to say, when life seems quite manageable, rejoice. Rejoice. It's a good thing. It's a gift from the Lord. But don't let go of God. Because it is Him who has blessed you. Keep that full dependence. You know, Matthew, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. In America, we would say, blessed means happy. We would say, happy are the self-made men and women. Happy are the independent ones. Happy are the ones that have accomplished a lot and they've got pride. God says, happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those that are humble. He says, blessed are the meek. Meek means power under control. Blessed are the weak. On my epitaph someday, I would love it if it said, Dan Hardy, you're going to laugh like you did Gary Cooper with compassion, meek. But when I understood what that is, and when I, when I look back at my tendency to, to be out of control, those of you that were at the basketball game the other night, I want to be meek, which is power under control. Philippians 4 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The other side of that coin, I can do nothing that is worthwhile for eternity on my own. Nothing. Anything outside dependence on the Lord is not worth the time spent to do it. And it doesn't mean that we can't have fun, because I'm all about fun. 
that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Second point, and I better hurry. That was one point. The other reason we pray is communion and relationship with God. And there's three aspects of relationship. One is restoration or reconciliation. And if you think about it, when there was sin in the garden, that infected all of mankind. Every one of us had a terminal disease from that point on. And God the Father had a plan from day one to reconcile us to himself. And what that means is to call us back into a right relationship with himself. So reconciliation is a big part of communion and relationship. Next is being honest. Never pray what you don't mean. I've done this before. Never pray what you don't mean. Be honest with the Lord. In a relationship, when Nancy and I are doing our best, it's when we're honest with each other. Next is friendship. Friendship. I grew up Catholic. And I never saw God as a friend. It might, because I was, I, I had a, just a, I didn't have a healthy fear. I had an unhealthy fear. There's a healthy fear of God. But I had an unhealthy fear. And God is our friend. In John 15, it says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master's doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Last point under communion and relationship is a desire to spend time. What's a relationship? In the first chapter of 1 John, I'm not sure the verse, but it tells us what biblical fellowship is. It's when we spend time together proclaiming His excellencies to one another. It's when we're fellowshipping, and it can be a shotgun outreach. We can be shooting guns, as long as the Lord is at the center of that. A desire to spend time with the Lord is a part of our communion with Him. Psalm 42.1 As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? If we want like to spend time with somebody, if we're in a relationship, we thirst for time with them. Third point, we're called to pray. You know what? I took this out of my notes four different times because I hate to be told by anybody to do anything. I want to want to do it. I don't want to be told to do it. But you know what? We're called to pray. Jesus said, pray in Matthew 6. In Luke, he says, ask, seek, knock. Luke 18, he told the disciples that they should always pray. Paul carried the torch. He said, devote yourselves to prayer in Colossians 4. 1 Thessalonians, pray continually. 1 Timothy, he says, first of all, Timothy, pray. Don't act. Pray first of all. I love what Donald Whitney says in the book we've been going through on Tuesday mornings. He says that we must see the summons to pray. We must see the command to pray, not only as a divine summons or command, but as a royal invitation. We must not see the command to pray as just a command, but we must see it as a royal invitation. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to pray. Prayer aligns us with God's purposes, number four. There was a story of a boy praying a couple weeks before Christmas. He says, God bless Mommy and Daddy. Then at the top of his lungs, he said, And God, give me that new bicycle. His mom said, God's not deaf. But the little boy said, But Grandma is, and she's in the other room. 
Oftentimes our prayers are like the little boys, where we, we want to manipulate God into hearing our prayer and blessing us the way that we want to be blessed, instead of the way that He wants to bless us. The goal of our prayer should be to line up with God's will. This is pretty new stuff to me. It's to line up with God's will. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. Seek the kingdom and His righteousness, and then those things will be added to you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all of your ways. And then what? He'll make your path straight. See, we get it backwards. I get it backwards. I want to make plans. I want to strategize. And then I say, Lord, would you bless this? Or Lord, would you clean up this mess? And it's backwards. I want to uh, just tell the story, and I would encourage you to read it. It's from 1 Samuel 12. If you remember what happened with David, David committed adultery with Bathsheba. He killed her husband. He lied to all of Israel about what he did. And then what the prophet Nathan told David, what God told David through the prophet Nathan, is that there's going to be all kinds of consequences. But the first consequence is, is that the baby that's in Bathsheba's womb is going to die. That was a consequence. And here's what David did after he was told that. And we see this in 1 Samuel 12. David fasted. He went in and he laid all night on the ground. Even though he knew that the baby was going to die, he fasted and he prayed for seven days, begging the Lord for mercy on this child. And I think a lot of what David was doing there is he was aligning himself with the Lord. Because he could not accept that this baby was going to die. Get this. When he found out that the baby was dead, the baby died, David arose from the earth, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, and you know what he did? He worshipped. And here's what the servant said, observing that. The servant said, how can you be praying and fasting face down when the baby's alive, but when the baby's gone, you get up and worship? And David said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me? Who knows? But now he's dead. Why should I fast? Folks, I don't think I'm going to be able to get deep enough on this one point. This is a primary reason as to why we pray, is to align ourselves with God's plan. Next is for wisdom and direction. We pray for wisdom and direction. God wants to direct our steps. The problem is, is that we do all of our planning and dreaming ahead of time and we ask Him to bless it. God wants us to come to Him before the blueprints are drawn up. He wants us to come to Him before we enroll in college. He wants us to come to Him before we enroll our kids in their activities. He wants us to come to Him before we make a decision to make a big purchase. He wants us to go to Him before we make a decision to go on that dream vacation. See, what happens oftentimes is we look in our checkbook, there's enough money there, so we do it. We look at our budget of time, there's enough time there, so we do it. That's not God's plan. That's not God's best. Proverbs 16.9, we know it well, don't we? The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. In Acts 16.6, I was floored by this wording. Paul is going through the towns in Asia, sharing the gospel. 
and he is in the middle of one town, I'm not sure what it is, and he's ready to share the gospel. He's ready to plant churches. And here's what the Holy Spirit told him. I forbid you to speak the word in Asia. I forbid you. This is what Paul's all about, is sharing the gospel. He's devoted his life, he's been tortured, he's been beaten for sharing Christ. And he's all ready to do it, and the Holy Spirit says, I forbid you, that's the word used in the ESV, to share the gospel. Here's the kicker. Do these people need to hear the gospel in that town? Yes. Is the gospel worth proclaiming? Yes. But God had a better plan for him to proclaim that in a different town. And constantly, today in our lives, it is the battle between what's good and what's best. I know it is in my life. There are so many good things to do. But God, what's best? What do you want me to do here? David was being hammered. His, his army was being hammered by the Philistines in First Chronicles. Being hammered. And here's what he did. He inquired of God. Here's what God did. God answered him. Here's what David did. David obeyed him. David asked. The Lord answered. David obeyed. James says it very simply in James 1.5. If you lack wisdom, ask. And he says, oh, give it. If you lack wisdom, ask. It's that simple. It really is that simple. How do you know when you've heard the Lord? That's the hard part. James answers that in James 3. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. I'm going to pick one word out of that. If you are asking the Lord to help you make a decision, and you think you've heard from them, husbands and wives, if you're married, you make these decisions together. And if one of you doesn't have peace, you don't move forward. It says in James 3, it's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle. Now, can I say this? This is for believers. This is for believers. If you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus, you don't have access to the Father. He's not hearing you. The only prayer He's going to hear from you is, Save me. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Remove the scales from my eyes. I want to live for you. Next one, deliverance from trouble. We pray for deliverance from trouble. When I get in trouble, or when there's a problem, there is, um, I'm going to pick on Mitch for a minute here. My son Mitch is up for college. He doesn't know what I'm going to say. And he always cringes. And on s- Friday, he had an issue with a class that he wasn't, he, was, had a, he wasn't sure he could get enrolled. So he called Nancy, and Nancy was probably praying. I love when you do that. And I got wind of the problem, and I went into task mode. I got on the phone, I got on the internet, I did more research in 10 minutes than you can shake a stick at. And I figured it out. He had already figured it out, but I figured it out. I have a knee-jerk reaction oftentimes when we need to solve stuff. And what the Lord wants us to have is a prayer-jerk reaction. There's a problem, there's a challenge. Some of us are just wired that way, aren't we? We want to fix it. But God wants us to use our gifts... To fix things, to solve our wives' issues. <laughs> you laughing? She didn't have any issues, but I solved them anyways. But we need to have a prayer jerk reaction. 
Here's something else to remember. You remember what they told kids? What do they tell kids when there's a fire? What are the three things you do? Stop, drop, and roll. When there is a problem, stop, drop, and pray. Pray, because He will answer. Paul begged the Lord three times in 2 Corinthians 12. He had a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what the trial was, but he begged the Lord three times to remove it. He prayed. And God's answer was, I'm not going to remove it. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is perfected in your weakness. So we pray when we're in trouble. Pray for deliverance. But he may not always deliver us the way we want to be delivered. Next reason is relief from fear and worry. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Pray and be thankful. And remember, your Heavenly Father cares more about your needs than you do. And He knows exactly what you need. He loves you. He's your ultimate provider. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness. And He does not take joy in seeing us suffer. He takes no joy in that at all. We pray to be free from the guilt of sin. I don't know how that strikes you when I first say it. Because Christ died to remove the guilt of sin. It says in in, in Romans 8.1 that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But you know what? We all walk in condemnation at some level. That's where the enemy wants to get us. Is when we inevitably blow it, the enemy wants to lie to us and tell us that we're not forgiven, that Jesus doesn't love us, that we're, that we're failures. And here's what the psalmist said in Psalm 32. He said, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Here's what's going on here. David is already forgiven. But when we confess our sins to the Lord, there is freedom. It's like a foot washing rather than a complete shower. In Hebrews 10, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through the flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Folks, every one of us is going to sin in 2010. And can I encourage you that whatever that blind spot is in your life that you keep going back to, confess it. Don't run from the Lord. Run to the cross. Run to the cross. And remember that His blood has covered every past, present, and future transgression. And when we pray, be reminded every time you pray that there's no condemnation, that you're free from the guilt of sin. Prayer also undergirds revival. I'm going to do more reading on this, but if you've ever done any reading on the Puritans or the Great Awakening in the 1800s and in the 1700s as well, 
every movement of the Lord. Chuck, I'd love to pick your brain on this sometime because there was a Jesus movement in the, in the 70s where a lot of people came to Christ. And my guess is, is that was undergirded by some type of prayer movement at first. But the Great Awakening certainly was. The greatest revival that we've ever seen was in Acts 2. And the very first thing after Jesus ascended into heaven that the apostles did is that they hung out in the upper room and they did nothing but pray and read the Word of God. Every revival is girded upon the passionate cries of God's people for the souls of men. A couple of quotes that I think I stole from Ian Bounds. Revival delays because prayer delays. We do live in a sin-hungry age. Sin-hungry age. You look all across America. Look across this world. It's a sin-hungry age, and we need a prayer-hungry church. I'm so excited about what the Lord has called us to in 2010. Because He's called us to wear holes in our knees. He's called us to be passionate criers dependent upon the Lord. The problem today in America is not the present administration. It's not terrorist attacks. It's not immigration. It's not the health care bill. The problem in America today is the impotent, lifeless church being led by pastors who are being more concerned about the offering plate and keeping their jobs than they are about the souls of men. I can tell you that firsthand. A church that spends more time organizing and planning than it does agonizing and praying is one that's going to be impotent and not going to be used by the Lord. And can I say, because I know my style of preaching, I don't feel like that's who we are. So I want everybody to relax. I feel like the Lord has us in a place where we're going to grow in a huge way in dependence upon the Lord. But I think this is far from an impotent church. I think this is a church that has God's hand on it. I think this is a church that as we submit our wills and our hearts and our minds and our whole beings to the Lord, that He has something special beyond what we can even comprehend. Beyond what we can even comprehend. Last result, running late, I'm sorry, but I'm going to get through this, is that prayer results in answers. It results in answers. God knows every hair on our head. He's numbered the stars. He knows every thought and intention of our heart. Our prayers do not inform or persuade God. They do not give Him new information. He knows everything. Here's an important principle. Prayer positions us to, re- to receive all the grace that God intends. Prayer positions us to receive all the grace that God intends for us. See, when we don't pray, we're missing blessings. We're missing blessings. Prayer opens our hands to His help. It allows the Father to bless His child. Parents, we know the joy of helping our children solve problems, don't we? Children, do you know the joy of your parents helping you solve problems? We know the joy of doing that. And we also know the frustration of watching them struggle with something that we can't help them resolve. When they tell us about their problem, it doesn't so much inform us as it invites us to help. For those of you with younger children, when, when your child tells you about a problem they have, you are so intuitive to what's going on in their life, it doesn't so much inform you of what's going on, does it? But it does invite you. I love it when my kids tell me, I, I hate it when they struggle, but I love it when they confide in me. Because I see it as an invitation to A, pray, 
but B, help out. And that is very similar to God. He knows every thought and intention of our heart. He knows your issues before you express your issues. But going to Him is inviting Him to help. It is expressing the ultimate form of dependence. I'm going to close with a couple of scriptures. James 5, 16 through 18. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The sense there is, is for our hearts to be aligned with the Lord, a righteous person. We're only righteous because of Christ's work in us. And our prayers have great power. He answers our prayers. And then he has an example of Elijah in verse 17. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months, and it did not rain. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. God answers prayers then, and I'm telling you folks, there's 99% of me that believes this, that God answers prayers so far above what we're asking. He wants to do so far exceedingly and abundantly more than what we ask, that we don't have the faith to ask for the big things, that there's blessings that He's wanting to hand to us that we're not asking for, that we're not ready to receive. John 14, 13 says this, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Do you know why? The rest of the verse says this, That the Father may be glorified in the Son. The primary reason that He gives us good gifts is for His glory. That's the primary reason. He loves us. He wants to bless us. But He wants to be glorified. Would you take a minute while we're singing this last song, and worship team, you can come on up, and write your comments or questions on prayer and put it back in that basket. Because, folks, we are all at different places on learning God's heart for prayer. And we want to encourage each other in this area. We want to spur one another on. Let me pray. Father, we bless your name. Holy Spirit, we thank you that You are an ever-present help in times of trouble. That you are with us always. That you are on your throne, Lord Jesus, in the good times, in the bad times. We thank you that you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. We thank you that, Father, you came to seek and save the lost. You didn't come just to save us from hell. You called us into an intimate personal relationship with the Father. And we thank you that you desire this relationship with us. We thank you that because the veil has been rendered, because of Jesus shedding his blood for our sin, that we can come before you. And that we can come before you with head and hands held high. And we thank you, Lord, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We thank you that you are the famous one. Lord, I thank you that that you desire this relationship. And I pray, God, that you would, that we not live in condemnation, but, Lord, that you would prompt our hearts to want to spend more time with the most famous person that this world has ever known.